I want to start off with a question. Is the promised land a picture of heaven or the new creation, or not? Well, there are lots of hymns, aren't there, that seem to suggest that it is. We found one earlier uh, that speaks about, you know, until the river, and uh, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside, you know that one? I've read from heaven, you that one. And uh, Pilgrim's Progress, of course, has the sort of river that they go through. Uh, to get to the, the promised land, the new creation on the other side. But I remember a series many years ago from my old pastor in Dridlington, who made a big deal, I can't remember exactly what he said about each chapter of the book of uh, Joshua, but he made the point that this is not, in one sense, the new creation, it's not the promised land. Because what we find in the book of Joshua are battles. We find battles all the way through uh, the book of Joshua, that's one of the things that sort of marks the book out. Really, this is another picture of the Christian life. The wilderness is sort of one way of looking at it, which the New Testament does. But the other way you can look at it is this sort of battle that we face. Um, but is this heaven on earth, or is it not? We're going to see by the end of it what we, what we think. The book is named after its main character, whose actual name is Hoshia. He's given the name Joshua by uh, Moses, which means God rescues which you might know in Greek is Jesus, uh, which causes no end of problems when he gets to the New Testament and he wants to talk about Joshua, because it says Jesus. Um, but it's not something coincidental, as we'll see. The big theme of the book is God saving his people into the land, bringing them in, and that's our, our first point. The big theme is the land, but bringing them into the land. And really the book has four sections as we go through, four sections. The first is entering the land from chapters 1 to 5. Sorry, by the way, no notice sheets in the evening, so you just have to go with your heads. But in the opening chapters, the entering of the land is made a big deal of. Joshua is pictured like a new Moses. We had in that reading, didn't we? As God was with Moses, so will be with Joshua. And we see sort of repeats of things that happened with Moses. The parting of the Red Sea uh, that God worked through Moses is repeated through Joshua, who passed the River Jordan so they can walk through on dry land. And before uh, they walk in, though, before the, the new Moses, if you like, the Joshua enters them in, they do spend spies out into the land, which they've done before. The first time in Numbers, they send 12, if you remember, and only two come back with a sort of godly report saying that God can uh, get them into the promised land. That's Joshua and Caleb. And it's as though, I was thinking this, Joshua sort of learned his lesson a little bit. So instead of sending 12 this time and have two come back with a good report, he sends two. <laughs> so, so oh, maybe just the two with a good report uh, can come back. They send only two spies, and they're rescued by an unlikely rescuer, Rahab. At best, a pagan innkeeper, but most likely, though, a pagan prostitute. She hides the spies because she has faith that God will give the Israelites the land. And she's even included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, and in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1. Before going into battle in the land... God meets with Joshua in person, as he had with Moses, again, repeating this idea. And again, as Moses took off his sandals as he meets him, uh, Joshua now takes off his sandals as he meets with God. And God guides Joshua into how to take the land. So they enter in the land, that's the first section. And then the second section, from 6 to 12, is taking the land. There are a series of miraculous victories. You know some of them probably. Jericho, where God brings the walls down, miraculously. AI, where Joshua holds out his javelin, and they win as long as he holds out his javelin. 
The kings of the Amorites are defeated as the sun stands still in the sky, and their armies are destroyed by hailstones sent from God. So there are these great miraculous victories that we see, but they're also failures. They failed to take Ai initially because of the sin of Achan, stealing spoil from Jericho. They enter into a covenant with the Gibeonites without consulting God when they're deceived by them that they're actually a tribe from far away. Overall, though, the tone is positive. The mistakes are overcome by them. They root out Achan. Even the treaty with the Gibeonites brings about the downfall of the five Amorite kings who sort of unite to go against them. And it's in this section that the covenant is renewed as one half stands on Mount Gerizim and the other on Mount Ebal and proclaim the blessings and curses just as Moses had commanded them to do. So they take the land and it's positive. They're getting in there. But there's more work to do. The third section of the four is dividing the land, chapters 13 to 21. The section starts with a summary of all the land yet to be taken, but most of the division, uh, most of the section is taken by the division of the land among the tribes. Now it might sound like quite a dry section, but actually this is one of my favourite passages uh, in the whole Bible, uh, in this little section, where you get Caleb, who is 85, and he wants his mountain. He wants possession of the hill country. You know, Joshua says, you know, where, where is it that you want? I want that mountain. Are you sure? Yeah, the one with giants on. The one where they spied out when they were younger men. The place where Abraham lived for most of his days. The land that will actually be the future capital of Israel, Hebron. And it's just the way he talks about, you know, I'm 85, but I'm as strong as I was when I was came in the first time. I just say, I hope I'm like that when I'm 85. You know, God willing, I'll be, you know, I can take them. I can get, just get me at them. You always imagine, you know, he's, he's there with his sort of walking stick. But uh, it's great, isn't it, uh, to have the faith of Caleb who wants to take the mountain with the giants on. You know, that is faith, isn't it? That is uh, trusting in God. And the section ends with cities of refuge uh, to be run by the Levites and the cities and lands that they could have. It's not one area, but the Levites are spread throughout the people. And the cities of refuge were there for people to run away to uh, when families sought their blood to kill them for what we call today manslaughter. They were safe inside the city gate until trial, or until the high priest died, and then they could go home. And if you think about it, they're a wonderful little picture of Christ, that we can run there to refuge and are safe uh, inside the gates. The last chapters, though, the, the fourth section, deal with how, we, how they're to serve the Lord in the land, that's 22 to 24. The tribes whose inheritance was on the other side of the river Jordan returned home. They fulfilled their obligations to their brothers in helping them take the land, and uh, now they're going to go back. There's nearly a civil war as the uh, west of the tribes, uh, river tribes, think that the east of the tribe river, no, east of the river tribe, one half thinks the other half is trying to break away, uh, basically, and uh, they almost have a civil war, but the civil war's averted. Again, it's sort of positive, there's a problem, but it's overcome. Joshua gathers the leaders together at the end of the book and gives them a final charge to serve the Lord. Let me read a little bit to you. Chapter 24, uh, verses 14 to 28. This is really him giving them their charge at the end. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, that the fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did great signs in our sight, and preserved us all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Actually, we'll pause there. Joshua goes on to explain that they can't serve the Lord. They want to. They pledge themselves to do it. But Joshua warns them that they can't serve the Lord. Actually, they're not equipped to serve the Lord, but they go ahead anyway. So it's a high point, in a way, that people are wanting to obey. But it's an ominous point. Uh, they're looking for them to fail uh, as it goes on. And the very end of the book uh, has Joseph's bones being buried in the promised land, completing the promise his brothers made to Joseph way back at the end of Genesis. Uh, it's a fitting ending, it's a good ending, but as we'll see in the book of Judges, it's not all quite as it should be. So that's the basic flow of the book, that's those four sections that we go through. But where is it really going? What does it sort of tell us, if you like? Well, we see, secondly, the goal is rest. There's only three points, but the goal is rest. Whilst the book as a whole is not a picture of the new creation, actually there is something that does point to the new creation in the book. Rest. Now we started to look at that a little bit this morning. The Lord grants them rest. We saw it in our reading, Joshua 21:44, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. So it's not just that they make it into the promised land, but actually that they would find their promised rest, as that hymn that we mentioned earlier puts it. They go through battles, they go through hardship, but they do so to enter God's rest. And this really is one of the two high points of the Old Testament. So high that it can say in the verse after the one we read there, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Here we see like a mini peak in the Old Testament. A mini fulfilment of all the promises that God made to Abraham. God's people, in God's place, enjoying his rule and blessing as it's seen in their rest in the land. The only other time you get such a clear glimpse is under Solomon, but we're not there yet in our going through the books, are we? But it is just a glimpse. The end of the book makes it clear that there's still battles to be fought. There's still work to be done. But the Bible lets us see this picture through the lens of fulfilment. It presents it as a picture of where we're going. But even in the battles that we see on the way to the rest... We see that it's God who fights them for his people. It's those miraculous victories, isn't it? And rest is not earned by the people. It's granted by God. And it's a rest that is enjoyed by all God's people as they go into the land. Even some surprising people. So think about Rahab. Not the sort of person that you'd think that God would bring into his family. Think about the Gibeonites who essentially deceived the Israelites to get in, if you like. And yet we see in a small way the nations joining in. The nations coming in and even enjoying God's rest in the end. You see, the people who don't enjoy God's rest are not the Gentiles in general, 
But actually, in the story we've seen so far, it's the unbelieving Israelites who die in the wilderness. They're the reminder that we're to press on to enter God's rest. And this is the way that the New Testament sees this as well. So Hebrews 4, it's a bit of a longer passage again. But uh, see if you can pick up some of the themes that we were looking at this morning. Hebrews 4, uh, 1 to 11. Just listen out for those things we've been talking about. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should have failed to have reached it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he somewhere has spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as he did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see there that rest is the goal? It was rest for them and it's rest for us. To rest in Christ and to rest in his works on the cross, that's one of the ways that we experience that now. And then that final rest, the rest that awaits for the people of God, that Sabbath rest, the final rest in the new creation. And Joshua, really, as they work towards that, as they get towards that rest, is a picture of us getting towards our rest, and then finally the rest that we see. So there's the goal. But there's also a challenge, so a final point, a bit briefer as well. The charge. Be strong and courageous. The challenge to be strong and courageous is repeated in one form or another six times in the book of Joshua, from God to Joshua, from the people to Joshua, and from Joshua to the people. And in view of the rest to come and the battles that we face, what does he say to us? What does he say to them? Be strong and courageous. I don't think it's a stretch to say the way that we understand that now is that it's the same for us. We are to be strong and courageous. Because we're in a similar situation. We still face those battles. Now God is winning those battles for us, but in the midst of that, we need to be strong and courageous. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like faith. Faith. Stepping out in faith. Facing battles in faith. Not the promised lands where Joshua was uh, fighting, but the battles that we face uh, in our Christian lives. And stepping out in faith, it's not just about being where you are and sort of surviving. There is that sense that they're to go out, aren't they? And to take the promised land. So we too, someone once said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We risk, don't we? We go out and step out in faith. And we remember in the midst of that that there's a promise of rest. It can be hard in the battle, can't it? It can be exhausting in the battle. 
But there's that promise of rest. The rest that we take hold of now is the rest in Christ, and one that we'll enjoy for eternity. So that's the book of Joshua, and then next time we'll be on to the book of Judges, which is far less positive, uh, but we'll see that uh, next time. Let me pray. Father God, we do pray that you would help us in light of the battles that we face now, but the rest that is to come. Father, help us to be strong and courageous. Father, help us to be bold in our faith. Father, help us to trust in you and you winning the battles, uh, Father, rather than our own strength and our own uh, capabilities. Father, help us to remember that you got Joshua through this and you brought him safely into your rest. Father, help us to trust you in the same way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.